This is Line Dance Podcast. I'm Christopher Gonzalez. Hello and welcome to Line Dance Podcast on Move Radio with Christopher Gonzalez and Megan Barsulia. How are you doing today, Megan? Much better now that I can dance again. Yay! <laughs> yeah, you uh, had a calf injury that was pretty rough yeah. for a while. About three weeks now. Yeah. And uh, what is it that, that uh, you would attribute to your speedy recovery? Staying off of it, which was probably one of the hardest things I've ever done. Mm-hmm. Um, and really being aware of the fact that my goal is to be able to dance at the Pikes Peak line dance event, as well as the following weekend at Fun in the Sun. Mm-hmm. And that is coming up pretty quick here now. Yep. And since that was more important than the idea of dancing more locally, which I do on a pretty regular basis, I was encouraged to stay off of it. Um, and then courtesy of, of your help and some friends to keep me occupied doing other things such as learning languages and talking and just getting me out of the house so that I didn't go crazy. Mm-hmm. All right. Today, for your listening pleasure, we have some articles that we are going to relate to the universe of line dance. It's bigger than a world of line dance at this point. It's, it's gone galactic. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we have a first one here that we'll jump right into called 10, Wy- 10 Ways to Fight Your Fears. And this one came about because of... Um, just some things that we've kind of been picking up through our feelers in um, in the world of dance friends and other friends. This seemed like it would be a good one for us to get into. Oh, and a big shout out also to Stephanie. How do you pronounce her last name? Delich. Delich. Or as I call her, Sissy. <laughs> <laughs> She, I guess, has tuned in and she says hi on Facebook. You can always uh, find our posts on Facebook. Just look for Line Dance Podcast and you will have every episode that we've ever done uh, on on that page. Looks like she has another comment. She says, Chris is kind of hard to hear, so I guess I'd better get in real close and <laughs> use my internet radio voice. <laughs> I think that might help. All right. First article is 10 Ways to Fight Your Fears. This was written for the website nhs.uk. So I, I guess this is a UK-based website. Seems like the... Fitting thing to do. Yeah, I mean, when you see a UK um, domain, I guess that's that's where that comes from. I don't see an author on here, so I'm just going to credit it to, um, let's say... Jonathan Sack. I think he's from the UK. Why not? (laughs) Uh, So you get all the credit for how good this article is, Jonathan. Uh, This one says, Whatever it is that scares you... Radio. Whatever it is that scares you, here are ten ways to help you cope with your day-to-day fears and anxieties. These tips are for people who are coping with everyday fears. If you have been diagnosed with an anxiety-related condition, see our page on Generalized Anxiety Disorder. You may also be interested in our selection of mental health apps and tools for issues like fear in the digital apps library. Number one, take time out. It's impossible to think clearly when you're flooded with fear or anxiety. 
The first thing to do is to take time out so you can physically calm down. Distract yourself from the worry for 15 minutes by walking around the block, making a cup of tea, or having a bath. If you mess up on the dance floor, walk it off. <laughs> uh, if you feel like everyone's staring at you and you couldn't imagine jumping into the next dance right afterward, it's okay to just say, oh, I need to get water. Man, that last one wiped me out, and uh, I got I to gotta go over to that far corner right now. Um, kind of reset a little bit. And um, I, I know that one thing that can happen if you do flub and you overcompensate for your flub, you can potentially make things worse because now you're rattled and <laughs> acting reactively. So something that should have just you know been a thing that um, you know nobody saw, nobody noticed, and you were able to brush off ends up becoming this big scene. Better just to kind of let it stay as small as it is, walk away from it, get back into baseline, and then come back ready to resume. Um, I have two different takes on the take timeout. Hmm. Uh, Basically because, um, actually courtesy of Stephanie, mm-hmm. um, I was introduced to a woman named Mel Robbins mm-hmm. who wrote a book called The Five Second Rule. Mm. And it's about counting backwards five seconds mm-hmm. to kind of ch- uh, like check yourself, to um, change your thought patterns, to encourage yourself to do something because she believes that... Um, we overthink too much. Mm. So if you only give yourself the five seconds to think and then act, then it, you're going to make decisions um, as opposed to talking yourself out of doing things. Mm. However, sometimes when you can't change that thought process um, of fear or anxiety, mm-hmm. um, then you do need to take that break and remove yourself from the situation and change your environment and get that, like, recollected experience um, so that you can re-enter the situation with a different point of view or, like, a more relaxed state. Uh, One of the things that uh, Mel Robbins does say is that your body actually doesn't know the difference between anxiety and excitement. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the anxiety comes from your mind and what you're telling yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the excitement factor, your heart races, your breathing increases. You, know, you have that same reaction as the same uh, that you do when you're having anxiety or fear. Your heart races, your breathing changes. Um, so if you can trick yourself into thinking that your fear is actually, or your anxiety is actually um, excitement, that's one thing that you can certainly do to help yourself get a, a different perspective on the situation. Mm-hmm. I know um, one of the things that she says is that anxiety is your habit of worrying spun out of control. Okay. Um, so if you can understand that it's a habit, which is a basically like a patterned behavior 
that you're not aware of, mm -hmm. if you use like the five seconds to change it, mm -hmm. um, and you put the spin of, oh no, I'm actually really excited, mm. then it's going to change like how you view the whole situation. The other thing to keep in mind is that just by changing the thought from anxiety to excitement doesn't actually change how your body's reacting. Your body's still in that aroused state mm -hmm. of, okay, um, something's going on. I'm nervous. I'm okay. No, 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 just kidding. Kidding. I'm excited, but you're still in that like excited state. That, so that, it, go ahead. I was gonna say it doesn't like calm you down. Um, but it, it at least gives you a different perspective. That's definitely happened when uh, dances come up that I wasn't expecting. And let's say it was something that was just taught uh, and we're not sure whether we're ready to actually do it. But when we thought we would have three more dances to like be out in the hallway reviewing it, it turns out they're actually putting it on right then and there. Uh, there's that initial feeling of, oh gosh, like we're not ready for this. Like what's good? And then it's like, well, this will be interesting. And then it's more excitement. It's like, all right, let's see what we can do with this. Let's really make the best of it. But yeah, those first few moments are just like shock and your stomach drops and like, what am I going to do? Like it's going to fall apart out there. But um, yeah, with, with some of those dances, it can, it can turn around and become excitement. Exactly. Um, and that's, that's one of the things that I have been getting better at. Mm -hmm when I get nervous for those kind of situations or when I mess up on the floor, like I've gotten better at not overthinking it and turning it into, well, well, that was an experience or this should be interesting or some type of, you know, I mean, even if it's a slightly sarcastic statement has a little bit more of that positive spin to it or other than like, oh my God, this is going to be awful. Mm -hmm. You're signing it up for, um, basically you're determining how it's going to end up mm. by saying it's going to be bad in the beginning. Mm. So if you're saying, well, we'll see where this goes, you're giving that that potential to have that positive outcome as opposed to just nipping it right there and be like, no, this is going to be awful. Well, guess what? You're going to have a, a self-fulfilling prophecy is what I like to call them. Mm. Uh, you know, even if you stretch this onto a longer scale, taking time out could uh, be useful for instructors who are just overbooking themselves and they feel like the last event that they did was not their best. They weren't prepared. They flubbed a lot. They forgot their own steps. And where some people are able to just like cover that, laugh it off and roll with it, some people might just really need to breathe and uh, walk off the floor for a moment, uh, which in the short term can be okay. But Afterwards, you think like that event did not go as well as I wanted. Maybe I'm just I'm just stretching myself too thin, and then it might be a time to take time out and look at other things, uh, get kind of away from whatever it was about the dance world that was stressing you out so much, and then come back to it a couple months later. Take those bookings instead. Yeah, yeah. that's that's certainly something to consider. Mm -hmm. um, I know this injury has been a blessing and a curse in itself because it wasn't by choice that I stopped dancing. Um, but I remember how excited I was to get on the dance floor yesterday. I was, I was nervous. I'll admit that because I, I wasn't sure how it was going to end up, 
But because of the fact that I was, I had actually practiced the five seconds of, okay, just take it easy, but go for it. Um, I had so much fun at Dolly's class yesterday morning, just dancing, that it was just this whole like rekindled spirit to, I'm looking forward to doing almost any dance I can, not because of the fact that it's a new dance or it's challenged me, but because I haven't had a chance to dance in three weeks. So dances that I would originally like do like, well, I mean, no offense, but like I've done the watermelon crawl so many times. I'm really not feeling it tonight. Shocker. Whereas like, had I had the opportunity, I would have danced it. Um, You know, just because it has that like revitalized, feeling for me now because I had it taken away from me for three weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you're getting on the lines of like being more of that burnt out feeling, taking a little bit longer, obviously might actually be a better situation before you end up like resenting it. Mm. All right, let's move on to our next one here. Number two, breathe through panic. If you start to get a faster heartbeat or sweating palms, The best thing is not to fight it. Stay where you are and simply feel the panic without trying to distract yourself. Place the palm of your hand on your stomach and breathe slowly and deeply. The goal is to help the mind get used to coping with panic, which takes the fear of fear away. Um, One of the things I've done in the past when I've had actual trouble breathing for whatever reason, maybe I was... uh, exercising too much or I had a reaction to something um one of the tricks I would do would be um I'd put um you know one hand over my chest and one on my uh, where my diaphragm is and I would feel myself doing the intake and the exhale of breath and I would constantly tell myself you're getting enough oxygen um and because of that both the telling myself that you're getting enough and feeling the body inhale and exhale um, stimulated both the idea that, no, you actually are getting enough oxygen. It's okay. Um, And it's helped me kind of like relax a little bit and then like just be really acutely aware of what's going on in my body as opposed to like, I can't breathe. Oh my God, I'm going to die. And like just going that route. Um, For instructors, there are lots of opportunities to pause and breathe. If you feel like you're just chattering the whole time to fill fill all the gaps and you're afraid if you stop, then people are going to think, uh-oh, dead air. What are they doing wrong up there that we should be acutely aware of? If you gesture towards something uh, that you're doing, like, oh, we're going to point our right toe out to the side and then together, and then we're going to point our left toe out to the side and then bring it together... You're going to want to make sure your weight is, and then maybe you're like looking down and you're gesturing up and down your left side. And you say on your left side, like all that gesturing time is time to just stop and breathe and think about what's coming next. And that way you won't rush into, your words won't get ahead of you and you won't end up having something come out that you're like, oh, whoops, no, we have to go back a couple steps now because I said the wrong thing. It's okay to breathe and use that time to space out your thoughts and your next plan of movement. Yeah. Um, another thing 
with the breathing through the panic too, if you're lucky enough to have someone with you um, that knows a situation, um, one of the few things that I've, I have found that has um, worked with uh, panic or anxiety in the past with, say, one of my friends or the kids I used to work with, um, I was told that when you get into that panic state, your brain doesn't hear more than three words. So if you have someone with you, um, they can talk to you and say things like, you are safe, you are fine, I'm right here. And obviously space those apart so that your brain has time to process it. Um, Another thing which it based on the individual, um, I I do very well with it, is putting my palm with somebody else's so that I have that touch, that feeling, um, that kind of like a grounding sensation while they're telling me that I'm safe, that I'm okay. Um, it, it makes it very present as opposed to letting my mind go too far crazy. Mm-hmm. So um, I know that that's helped me in the past as well for that but you have again you have to have someone who's with you to and knowing oh she's freaking out right now it's okay you're fine mm-hmm. you know you're all right number 3 face your fears avoiding fears only makes them scarier whatever your fear if you face it it should start to fade if you panic one day getting into a lift for example it's best to get back into a lift the next day you can tell this is from the UK because they said lift. <laughs> right? Um, yeah, I think... I know we've said it in the past that um, it's not necessarily confidence to do something because the fact is confidence is built up by having a positive or desired reaction mm-hmm. to... Um, or as the outcome. Uh, <laughs> hi, Mark. <laughs> Mark G or Mark Guichard, uh, also of Move Radio, has uh, mentioned that he is listening in and uh, he says, breathe. Good advice. <laughs> yes, very much so. Um, but as for like facing fears and whatnot, I totally lost my, um, <laughs> uh, totally lost my train of thought there. Um Facing fears, getting onto lifts, calling elevators <laughs> lifts, even though they're in the UK. Um, oh my gosh, yes, totally totally lost train of thought. That's what I get for paying attention to everything under the sun. So if you have anything, I'll work on collecting that back. All right, so the next one here... Oh, actually, let me think about facing your fears. Oh, gosh. If, okay, so if there's a dance and you think that uh, you know the song comes on, you do it, and you didn't have time to review it, so then you go out there and you totally botch like every wall except the last one that does not mean you are not capable of doing that dance and you should never try to do it again because it's very easy to say well I learned my lesson my lesson was don't do that dance I'm just no good at it just do it some more do it do it when no one can see you Uh, that's how I learned a lot of the dances that I wasn't able to pick up on the floor back when I was learning moves like Jagger for example that was one where I watched it no matter how many times I watched it, I could not get it just from watching people at the club because there were too many turns and I was not that comfortable with all those turns yet, especially since I would have had to crane my 
my neck to see what people were doing if I was you know facing the wall that they were on. It was all just a big mess when I tried to do it that way. So I went home and watched a YouTube video because I don't think I was able to find a tutorial for it at the time. I just watched a demo of it and paused it over and over and over. This is also before I learned uh, how wonderful step sheets are as a tool for learning because that's exactly what you should do. (laughs) It's like learn how to read one of those as quickly as you can in your dance journey uh, and then there's no ambiguity and you don't have to mess around with demos that aren't slowed down enough. Anyway, I did all of my variations privately. (laughs) And um, when I say variations, I mean I didn't know what I was doing and I was just kind of pausing and restarting and saying, no, that's not it. And um, maybe more kindly than that, I don't recall. It was a few years ago. Probably not. Yeah. Um, If you do that all at home and get all your mistakes and frustrations out of the way there, then when you feel really confident about it, having succeeded in correcting your mistakes um, without anyone judging, you can go out to the club and do the dance like everyone else and feel like a totally normal member of that dance floor and not the, the one weak link who's slowing everyone else down because you're still learning it. No, just do all your learning behind closed doors as long as you do eventually get back out there. I mean, it's one thing to say, oh, well, great, now I finally learned it and I can do it in my kitchen, but I don't want to ever risk doing it in the club again because that was a disaster. No, it is important that after you do learn it and have it down like the back of your hand, you do go back to where you feel like you didn't have it and do it there. That'll really give you that closure. And then you can start the whole process over again with another dance that you totally botch. And uh, this is how we learn. Yes. Um, So I remember when you first started talking um, that I was talking about confidence and how confidence is simply the receiving of the desired result or a positive result to the risk that you've taken. Mm -hmm. So in theory, what you really need is courage. Mm -hmm. Um, Currently speaking, my fear and anxiety revolves around teaching. Mm. So I have set up several different situations in which I get to practice teaching. And it's, I found people who are accepting of me, and I know they will be. Um, I have found people who can ask me questions the way a new student might um, so that it gets me in the habit and the the um, process of thinking about how to answer questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's still really, really scary. Like the idea of teaching you or the idea of teaching my sister or the idea of teaching my mom, all very safe environments, still extremely scary for me and gives me a lot of anxiety. Mm. So... It's a practice, and the more I receive the positive outcome or desired result in which I was looking for, I'm hoping that that'll keep me going so that it's a little bit more natural each time I go through a dance, Mm -hmm. whether it's the same exact dance or a brand new one as an instructor, um, having that 
ability to keep going uh, and learning what worked and what didn't work each time um, and having the different people that I'm able to practice with gives me the option of like adjusting how I word something or maybe a different way of wording something so that when I go to actually teach a class, I have a little bit more experience and I have a little bit more vocabulary I can use um, to hopefully help me be able to see that anxiety and panic as just excited energy Hmm. Uh, because I've had positive results in the past. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you'll never have those positive results unless you face your fears and like give yourself the chance to e- succeed. Exactly. Number four. Imagine the worst. Try imagining the worst thing that can happen. Perhaps it's panicking and having a heart attack. Then try to think yourself into having a heart attack. It's just not possible. The fear will run away the more you chase it. I'm not sure that's a safe thing to do. I mean, I guess it does put a sense of reality, but if you're in the midst of that panic, I don't think uh, imagining the worst case scenario is good for those of us who have overactive imaginations, Mm. because I can see myself falling off the stage and breaking my neck very easily, and that is actually quite a possibility for me with how many energies... Um, injuries I've had. Mm. So um, maybe the worst case scenario might not be uh, recommended in the moment. Well, when I go worst, I go way worse. Like I... Oh, they're dying? No, no, worse, (laughs) worse. Like I I think about things like... um, I remember something something unfortunate happened. It was probably like a year ago or so. And I just remembered trying to escalate it beyond what's... And I was, like, seriously upset, too. But, like, I just tried to escalate it beyond realism whatsoever. Um, so, like, let's say... Uh, what, what's a bad thing that could happen? Like, let's say I get a parking ticket. I think, oh, man, like, that's that's a big hit on the amount of money that, you know, I'm going to be able to use this month. Well, then I think, oh, gosh. And, and I mean, this is the first one, too. Like, tomorrow, I'm probably going to get two. At this rate, if I get one, if I had zero yesterday and I have one today, that means I'm going to have two tomorrow and then four the day after that. And pretty soon, they're going to throw me in prison because of all my unpaid parking tickets. And then I'm going to have to go into, like, work camp or something <laughs> just so I can, you know, compensate the state for all of this. And then that's not going to be enough. So they're going to take my family. They're going to take my family, and we're all going to have to work at this labor camp together just to pay off all my mounting parking tickets. And my car is still on the sidewalk. I haven't even moved it. So that means if, if they take it to an impound lot, that means I've got impound fees. And I, then they're going to give me parking tickets on my impounded car. And then the, the state of California is going to have to come in and bail me out and then they're going to get thrown in jail too so then everybody the world economy is going to go down the tubes i will have single-handedly ruined america because (laughs) i left i left my car where it wasn't supposed to be and i didn't pay the ticket (laughs) well that's definitely one way to go yes oh i'm not sure how you can do that with uh dance Oh, <laughs> you could be banished. Like, let's say you you um, miss a step. And normally, I mean, because we have, like, nice healthy mindsets about this, we'd say, oh, whoopsie, no one noticed that. But if if the person to your side looks down and they see you and they're like, 
didn't you know it's this step? And then you feel all self-conscious about it. You think, uh-oh, I bet somebody else heard that. Now they're all going to stop the dance in the middle of the song. Oh, they're going to cross their arms, shake their heads and cluck their tongues. I can't believe Chris messed up that one step. <laughs> he ruined the evening for everyone. <laughs> We're canceling this event. How can we come back from this? We'll host it in France next year. <laughs> Oh, God. Change the name. <laughs> well, that, that's certainly one way of going. Yes. Um, <laughs> and I, I think you, you trump me with the overactive imagination. Because, um, like, once you go farther and farther with it, eventually this little voice in your head is like, well, no, stop. It, it, no, it couldn't be that bad. Come on. <laughs> come on. You'll, you'll be all right. And then you don't need anyone else to do it because you're doing it yourself. There you go. Yeah. All right. Number five. Look at the evidence. It sometimes helps to challenge fearful thoughts. For example, if you're scared of getting trapped in a lift slash elevator and suffocating, ask yourself if you have ever heard of this happening to someone. Ask yourself what you would say to a friend who had a similar fear. You know, that actually... I've thought about that when sometimes my mom freaks out about... Like, speaking of cars, like if I if I have my car parked on the driveway in front of the house and she wants to make sure that, like, I mean, we live in a... My parents in Daly City live in a nice neighborhood. Yeah, it's very nice. Yeah, it's on a hill. Uh, you don't really see any crime anywhere. Uh, but she still wants to be sure that I take everything out of the body of the car or cover it up with something. And even if there are things in the trunk no one can see, they'd prefer if I just bring them upside, uh, upstairs inside the house. And I understand definitely doing that as a habit. Like, of course, when you think about locking your car doors, that's something that you just do everywhere. When you put on your seatbelt, you do it everywhere. It's not like some places it's okay not to do it, and then you, know, you go to a place where you should do it and you forgot because you're not in the regular habit of it. Like, there's some things you just always do. But there are some times when I think, like, yeah, this could happen, but realistically speaking, when has this happened? Have you seen this happen? Uh, like, with um, skydiving or, like, taking a plane somewhere, statistically, it's not that dangerous. But still, there are all these precautions that, uh, that of course a good worrying mother would want you to make so that you don't become that tiny little statistic who proves everybody wrong and shows the world how dangerous it could be. Um, she doesn't say things... I mean, generally speaking, you hear, like, drive safe and things like that. We say that to anyone. But the statistics on that are enormous for, like, causing fatalities. We just don't think about the statistics of it all. And that's what this one's saying. Like, you really need to think... Number crunching wise, like, could this really happen? Whatever the thing is that you're you're thinking is going to happen, uh, based on reality and based on the past. Yeah, I mean, you pretty much covered it. Mm. It's just looking at the evidence. Um, for instance, it's that whole desired result thing again. I'm able to speak very clearly and directly related to my fear of teaching mm. um, but the more evidence I see is like okay what's the worst thing that can happen like they were saying okay the dance gets taught wrong how often have I taught the dance wrong mm. well I haven't yet 
yet is still there because I'm sure there'll be one of those days. But so far, the dance has always been taught. The dancers have always grasped it enough that, you know, when you're learning a new dance, it varies on the length of how well you understand it. Um, But the evidence points to more often than not, this has positively happened as opposed to this negative thing happened for me. So Mm. I need to uh, breathe a little bit more and uh, possibly keep reminding myself of that. Mm. Yeah, it's one of the hard things to convince a beginner when they think that because they don't know a dance, everyone's going to dislike them for trying. And you can say that won't happen. That hasn't happened to me. I used to be afraid of that happening, but then I just, you know, gritted my teeth and got through it and nobody said anything. Nobody uh, pointed out any error that I'd made because they were all focused on what they were doing, just kind of enjoying things for themselves. Or maybe even they were supportive because they saw me going for it. But you can't tell them that and expect them to just take your word for it when their fear is so strong. They really need to experientially feel that things will be okay. But it's like a paradox because you can't get that experience until you try, but you don't want to try until you're already sure, that it's which comes work from out. experience. And yeah. yeah, at some point, something has to give. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But, yeah, but the evidence will point out that uh, no one's going to fault you for trying a new dance. Right. And if it helps, like you could even just grab your friend by the elbow, drag them around the room and ask people, hey, when you were first learning, did anyone make fun of you? Did anyone laugh at you? Or were people generally kind of welcoming? And then just keep doing that for all these different people. And after every single one, look at your friend and be like, you believe me yet? You believe me yet? <laughs> <laughs> How about now? Do you believe me? Yeah. Number six. Don't try to be perfect. Life is full of stresses, yet many of us feel that our lives must be perfect. Bad days and setbacks will always happen, and it's important to remember that life is messy. Chances are you're not going to get the dance the first time you try it. Yeah. I have evidence of that. took a while for me to accept that and just use that as a foundation and not kick myself for not getting it with all the reps of that lesson right um it took it took me forever to come to terms with that and this is just dancing this isn't teaching yet because i haven't figured out that one yet um but dancing wise when i make mistakes nowadays it doesn't even phase me i just keep dancing Mm -hmm. um whereas this time last year, if I made a mistake, oh my gosh, it was the end of the world. Mm-hmm. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I missed that step. I can't believe I stepped wrong. I can't believe I turned the wrong way. Whatever it was, it was the end of the world. It mm-hmm. was, my life is abysmal, I'm overdramatic, and whatever. Um, but now, it's like, oh, oops. Oh, oops. You know, and it's like, if it even gets that much attention. Mm-hmm. Um, I know... Yesterday, I was struggling with, um, ironically, oops, baby. Uh, but, and I was like, wait, I know this dance. Why can't I figure this out? And so, like, I stepped off the dance floor, and I watched it, and I watched it, and I watched it. And I went, there it is, as opposed to, like, making a big deal about me not knowing it or not remembering it or having that one trouble spot that I was struggling with that I couldn't figure out while I was on the dance floor, um, 
taking that moment to just really, really watch and be like, oh, that's what I was missing. Okay. As opposed to faulting myself for not having it and messing it up the first couple times I had tried it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that in itself, I would love to know when exactly my need to be perfect as a dancer shifted. Mm. As opposed to, and it shifted from my need to be perfect as a dancer to my need to have fun. Mm. Like once I gave myself permission to be imperfect, I gave myself so much more permission to have fun on the dance floor and really enjoy it. Mm. So, I mean, that's, maybe I'll figure out how to do that as as an instructor. Mm. You know something that uh, I noticed, because we've both, we've both seen uh, videos of Roy Hidesabroto and Fiona and others doing the Beast and mentioned how that sort of gives us permission or that at the time gave us permission to try different things with dances and just really take them to their limits of uh, what still could be considered that same dance. There was a, a video that I recorded at Windy City last year of... Rachel doing Poetry in Motion to Hotel California and also I think Have Fun Go Mad to Eminem's Shake That and I noticed in a way that I hadn't before that sometimes she would and and I would notice it in other videos as well after that she would go for something like she would just start doing something and end up maybe on the right foot maybe not and then she would just keep going and then she'd like correct herself and like you know make it work on the next go through. So I realized like not everything, even when it looks like these are steps they've done a million times, like they're still improvising to this day. For as many years as they've been doing these dances, people like Roy and Rachel and, and all the amazing others they're still coming up with stuff just on the fly and it doesn't always work out perfectly. It doesn't always hit the foot that they're supposed to be on and then you have to syncopate real quick to get back on to the foot you are supposed to be on for the next wall. I just thought that was so interesting and it kind of gave me permission to do the same with things like Poetry in Motion where she looks like, she, she does that like a ballerina, like just so gracefully and... You think that you know you can learn the dance, but there's no way you're ever gonna be able to do some of the variations she pulls off. But she changes them from event to event. Like some of them stay, and then some of them she'll just you know play in a different way. And that makes me think, oh well, if she doesn't know what's going to happen, and she said in the Line Dance podcast interview a while back, she doesn't always know what's going to happen. Just like you've mentioned about um, some of the dances you do, you like watching them back to see what the heck did I even do? Yeah. Um, she she comes up with things the exact same way the rest of us do. And she has this magical way of making it all look intentional. And sometimes we just look like, you know, one-legged fish or something. But, like, <laughs> um, eventually, like, that can be its own skill, not just knowing a dance well enough to do it technically amazingly, but also improvising in a way that... Um, that you can gloss over the bumpy parts. Yeah. Um, I was having a conversation with our friend uh, Leah before she left for Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, can't wait for her to get back, by the way. And we were talking about variations for mm-hmm. the Beast or whatever. And she was 
or I was telling her how, like, when I do variations on the beast, I never know what I'm going to do. Like, I have, I do more thought process on trying to figure out which wall I'm supposed to be facing and which um, uh, eight count segment I'm supposed to be on than I do coming up with variations. Um, And I was telling her how, and when I mess up, I just make it look like I did it on purpose because chances are nobody's going to (laughs) know. They're not going to know if that was a variation you meant to do or not Mm -hmm. if you make it look like it was totally on purpose and you meant to be on the wrong foot. Um, Another cheat that I've done, and I will openly admit that it's a cheat, is I just spin one more time until I figure it out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, look, one more time. Um, Or I play with the idea that, oh, look, I am facing the wrong wall. Oops. And then I'll play it and I'll do a couple movements like as if I know that, you know, like I meant to do it. I'm moving the same direction as everybody. I'm just so happy to be facing different, you know, mm-hmm. when I realize that I'm on the wrong wall or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I take that next opportunity that I can to switch and join everybody back on the right wall. But the more you make it look like your variation or um, as we like to call them variations, mm-hmm. your mistake, <laughs> um, was on purpose. One, nobody's going to care. Mm-hmm. And two you're going to start considering it just a quick moment of, oops, oh, well, because you haven't faulted yourself for it. Mm. It's like, no, I meant to do that. I totally meant to do that. Not really, but that's okay. Mm. That goes for teaching as well. I've seen a lot of event-specific culture created on the spot because of mispronouncing something and having a laugh at it and um, inviting the rest of the class to join you in that enjoyment. Like Fred's lessons. Huh, I love he, his lessons. <laughs> he'll just take any, any little thing, any little stimulus, and run with it. And he'll let himself crack up about it, too. And if he were too worried about being perfect, and, oh, no, we're, it's time for a serious lesson. We have to be serious so we can get through it and everyone learns the dance, because learning the dance is important. And you need to get it all right. So, like, if, if, if you let go of that, you say, no, this is not about just learning a dance. This is about spending time with some cool people and, you know, chatting with them and, uh, you know, picking on the front row. <laughs> and, uh, or, or on himself with his uh, skeet skeet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the way he pronounces skate skate. Yeah. Um, those are things that keep you present and equalize you with everybody else who is also they're they're all worried about you know being perfect and especially in front of the choreographer <laughs> so much pressure they put on themselves because they're with the choreographer they don't want them to see them mess up their dance so then it's like you're slapping the choreographer in the face like this is this is what i think of your dance here's this mistake and that mistake like they they want to be sure that they look good so they're they're worried and by you not being perfect and you mispronouncing or uh, miscalling something, um, you can just be on that human level with everyone else and enjoy the time you have together. Yeah. Um, another thing which I'm slowly learning mm-hmm. is I don't have to be the perfect choreographer. 
Um, I will openly admit that since uh, Can't Walk Away has actually been received the way it has, I have added pressure on myself for my next release to be good Mm -hmm. as like the way Can't Walk Away was good. And I have to remind myself pretty regularly um, that it, it can be good. It can be bad. It needs to be its own thing. Um, as for the perfect, I just need it to be enjoyable and safe. It doesn't have to be perfect. Um, I don't know of a dance out there that I would describe as perfect because perfect in a way to me says like you don't get to play with it. Mm. You don't get to make it your own. Um, you don't you don't have the room to really adjust a few things uh, because it's perfect the way it is. Um, and that to me says more about our choreographers and our instructors that I um, I look up to that I can play with their dances and I can enjoy them and make them my own and um, really in a way pay honor to them and their creative creativity because it isn't perfect Hmm. it's a really good dance it's it has a great flow it has this really catchy part this really creative um uh movement or it's great for beginners or it's great to take that next step if you want to transition to into a little bit more complexity of a dance i don't know if i'd ever described dance as perfect I know there are some that I haven't felt the need to modify. Like, I never really messed that much with Funk and Feel It. I thought it was really well-crafted, just beginning to end, how it was, and I didn't feel like I needed to do a lot with it. And, also, I haven't done it as much as, say, Whip It, which I have found places I can play with it. I've noticed that at Stoney's as well. The ones that, the older dances that are kept, because they've played things like Tumbleweed and... Uh, flying eights other older ones off and on but the ones that stay are the ones where people have something that they can chant during it or there's something that is commonly injected into it like for All Shook Up during those four kickball changes uh, at the beginning this is the uh, I think it's Randy and Stephanie Krull K-R-U-L version of it there are four kickball changes and where we are, you'll see people just kick the air. Uh, like, who did that? Chuck Berry or somebody did that on guitar back in the day, where they would kick the air and scoot forward while they're kicking. And there's another part where they say, um, my hands are shaking and my knees are weak. And you'll see them shake their knees, like in Gimme Gimme, uh, Gimme, Gimme by Rebecca Lee. And once people have that sense that they're invested, they created something, they put a bit of their own little flair into it, they keep requesting it. Because it's not just what the choreographer decided, totally dry, totally distant from them. It's part them now. It's part the dancer. And I never did that with Funk and Feel It. I enjoyed it. 
uh, while it was being played in a lot of places, but I never messed with it very much. Uh, Whip It, you've got the basketball part. Uh, you've got the... Anytime they mention hips while you're moving your hips, like you want to move hands your hips. Hands on your knees. Yeah, the, the Macarena tag. Uh, oh, that yeah, was hands... so much fun. Thank you, Jono, by the way. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's a lot that you can do in Whip It to just kind of bend it a little outside of the step sheet itself. And it's good to have that room where even if somebody could say on its own, it's perfect or whatever, um, just having little spots in there to make it your own. At first, you're not sure. Like, am I even allowed to do this? Like, it was fine the way it was. But um, when you do that and you kind of deface it slightly, you can almost add to it. Um, in, in a way that some might say adds and some might say detracts, like at least it, it's, it, it endures long enough to be given the chance either way. The ones that just stay the way they are because they're perfect and they're untouchable, you, you get through them sooner. You're done with them sooner because you have the same experience of it, say, I don't know, eight consecutive times and that's it. Whereas another, another, dance, you do it eight times that way, and just as it's kind of fading from your interest, somebody pops something new in there, and you're like, oh, i got to try it with that added in, and now you have another four times that you can do it, and then somebody else throws something in, and now you have another few times. These numbers are all totally arbitrary, but uh, it extends the lifespan by constantly tweaking and remixing it. Yeah. Um, and one of the things uh, Stephanie actually said was, uh, smile and keep going and they won't know there, there was a mistake. Yep. So. Number seven. Visualize a happy place. Take a moment to close your eyes and imagine a place of safety and calm. It could be a picture of you walking on a beautiful beach or snuggled up in bed with the cat next to you or a happy memory from childhood. Let the positive feelings soothe you until you feel more relaxed. So what happens if your happy place is on the dance floor. <laughs> But that's what's making you nervous. <laughs> mm. Imagine a different dance floor. The line dance lobby in Vegas Dance Explosion. There you go. I yeah. guess that would work. Mm -hmm. Watching Joe dance yes. Yeah. <laughs> or uh, Dance Ranch Romp last night of Vegas. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've always been told to imagine a, a happy place. I don't know if I've ever accurately succeeded in having this um, calm me down. When you were injured at Stoney's, did you put your mind in any place outside of Stoney's? Not really, hmm. honestly. Like, it was, it was along the lines of not focusing on the injury, I guess. Hmm. As opposed to like really giving in to like what could happen and what the worst case scenario was and like maybe I'll never be able to dance again and then what you know I mean like that's that's pretty bad. <laughs> um, I I literally just was like yeah I I think I uh, pulled my muscle. Um, uh, I, sh I should probably sit down now and I just kind of um, it, it's kind of hard to explain. There are certain situations in which my mind goes directly in a checkoff scenario. Mm. Um, when the tire blew, when we were on the freeway, mm -hmm. uh, when I got injured, 
it was, okay, what needs to happen now? What needs to happen now? What needs to happen now? And I would go down this mental checklist and as I did them, go to the next one. Um, for instance, the first one was, with my leg was, can I walk or can I still dance on it? No. Can I walk on it? No. Okay. Time to get off the dance floor. Now that I'm off the dance floor, I should probably put some Tiger Bomb on it and I should probably take a painkiller and I should probably get some water and I should probably elevate it. Maybe I should massage it. Um, and so I'd go down the checklist of each of these items so that um, I know that I did everything I could in that exact moment to figure out what was going on and get it handled. Uh, when the tire blew, pulled over to the side of the road, turned off the car, got out of the car, got out the jack, changed the... I mean, like, all of those were just like, okay, well, I can either sit here and fret about it and make it a bad, bad situation, or I can just handle my business. Mm -hmm. um, a little bit easier when you have the checkoff items mm -hmm. as opposed to um, when you're uh, freaking out about something that maybe happened because you tripped on the dance floor or you said the wrong word um, or you described the step incorrectly or your dance isn't taking off so your next one certainly won't why ever choreograph like, any of those kind of situations you can give yourself that fear and it can be immobilizing mm. if you don't necessarily have a checkoff list to get through that mm. um, it's that whole uh, don't focus on it. Mm. But, um, yeah, it's a little bit different for me when I'm going through the panic state. If I can stop myself from ever getting to the panic state, then I'm fine. But when I have time to think about it, that's when I do myself the most harm. There's a quote that that reminded me of that's come up in the Tim Ferriss podcast before. And it's by... I think he's a Stoic, Archilochus. <clears throat> we don't rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. So when you prepare yourself for situations that could cause you panic, and like let's say if, if I'm teaching something and I mess something up and I don't know, I completely blank out. I'm like, where am I? What am I doing? Then that's when you just say, okay, so let's, you know, let's just take it from the top. Because, like, you know that there's a format that a, a lesson typically follows. So just go back to where you know what you're doing and say, uh, take that from the top. If you don't even know what the top is, that's when you ask, like, where should our weight be? Where's our weight at the start of this? Okay, so if, are we going, which way are we going? We're going forward? And then by then you should probably have a good idea. Oh, it's this dance. I'm teaching this dance. <laughs> and then you know where you're, you're going to go for the first few counts. And um, if, if you don't know what's happening after that, just kind of like look over your shoulder. Don't call the next few steps, but watch where they go. You're like, oh, good. Some people are like already continuing on. That's great. So let's go that way now. And uh, we'll add those counts on. And um, yeah, just kind of go with your format. If you develop that format Early on, I mean, this, this same format could be used for beginner dances that you don't really have to worry about or think about. Um, and then, you know, later on when you have more complex things, you can still say, all right, let's do the first date, let's do the second date, let's do the whole dance, 
Uh, let's do it once through. Let's do two, uh, this wall. Let's do the next wall. Let's do the last two in a row. Let's go all the way around the room. Let's try it at a slow pace. Let's try speeding it up a little bit. Like you can go through all of those with every single dance. So if you get totally lost, just start over. There's probably some shy dancer in the back corner of the room who's really glad that you're starting over because they <laughs> needed that. <laughs> True. Yeah. Um, I know a, a bunch of my favorite things is when the instructors actually say, okay, one more time for me. Mm-hmm. Um, Dolly will do that a few times when she messes up. She goes, okay, wait, hold on. Okay, one more time for Dolly. <laughs> um, Fred's done one more time for me. Um I've seen them, you know, like actually say one more time for the instructor as opposed to really pointing it out. But I also saw a video of Madison and I thought it was the cutest thing ever. Okay, we're going to do that one more time from the top because I saw some variations. Um, And I thought that was really cute. And it was a nice way of still repeating it and still keeping it lighthearted. There have been times when I've seen... I've seen it go really well for most of the people and then a couple people will be totally lost. So a really positive way to look at that is like, wow, that was amazing. That looked so good. Before we do anything else, I want to see that again. And then you do it again. And then hopefully those other couple people have caught up during that very positively phrased repetition and then you can move on. But uh, it makes the people who are, like the majority of the class, if they are on it and they know what they're doing, then they feel really good that you've acknowledged that. Yeah. While everybody else secretly gets to repeat. <laughs> oh, also, as far as visualizing a happy place, if there's a place that you've taught it where it was totally low pressure, like among friends or like your local community center class, and then you're called up to do some major event and you're freaking out about it, uh, just take yourself back, close your eyes and... Put yourself back into that community center class. Totally low stakes. Everyone's on your side. And they will cut you all kinds of slack. Just imagine everyone on the floor at this new event is like that. Yeah. Yeah. So then you're like literally visualizing a happy place. I'm really glad we're going through all of this before my teach at the end of the month. (laughs) Yeah. Probably a good idea. Uh, Number eight. Talk about it. Sharing fears takes away a lot of their scariness. If you can't talk to a partner, friend, or family member, call a helpline, such as the Samaritans, open 24 hours a day. If your fears aren't going away, you can ask your GP for help. General practitioner, I believe. GPs can refer people for counseling, psychotherapy, or help through an online mental health service, such as Fear Fighter. Um, I know for me, it really helps uh, having you um, because one, I have that very, you know, direct line to actually have a, a conversation with you. You're, you know, in my everyday life. Um, so I'm able to communicate some of these things from you. And you'll word things in ways that I go, huh, I never thought about that. Maybe I should try it like that. Or, um, yes, I know I'm insane. I'm aware of this. I know I'm freaking out over nothing, but I'm still freaking out. Uh Another thing I'll do, like, in the middle of a panic attack, um, I'll call my sister. Like, I'm going crazy right now. I'm, I'm having a panic attack. Talk me down. And she doesn't say anything that I haven't told myself, but because she's saying it, I feel like there's more authority there mm-hmm. because what do I know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm able to calm myself down with her help because she's talking me through it. Or... Um, 
she'll be able to say things like, well, okay, I, I totally understand why you're letting your mind go there. But what you forget is X, Y, Z. And she's able to put it in a logical point where my brain goes, but, and she goes, no, but, here's the rebuttal. And I go, okay. And I just kind of have to listen to it. And, like, having you and her um, talk me through certain things, like, it really does take away some of the scariness and the pressure that um, ha- just having your support makes me go, okay, I'm really scared to teach. But it's okay because I have support. Um, I've asked other instructors, too, for tips. Um, and I've gotten some responses, uh, certain things to try and certain things to enunciate. Um, I love the fact that, you know, the dance I'll, I will be teaching is one that some other instructors have taught. So I can be like, okay, well, where was the struggle for your class? Where was the struggle for your class? So that I can get an idea of I should probably spend a little bit more time on this little portion here and go a little bit slower because this is where the classes, you know, like pretty universally have been struggling with it. Mm -hmm. Um, Still extremely scary. Hmm. Still extremely scary. What dance are you teaching? Can't walk away. Who's who's that by? I I don't know. These two, like, wannabe choreographers. Oh, I've seen them around. Yeah, was it Megan Barsulia, Christopher Gonzalez? Yeah, I think those are the names. (laughs) It's so confusing, too, because the name of the dance is Can't Walk Away, and then the song is Craving You by Thomas Rhett featuring Marin Morris. Those are totally different things. So I guess people just have to remember, they have to like make that effort to remember that it's called Can't Walk Away. It's not called Craving You, but it's Can't Walk Away by Megan Barsulia and Christopher Gonzalez. <laughs> good, luck, good luck with that lesson, by the way. Right. Thank you. <laughs> oh, and speaking uh, semi-related, uh, you mentioned having the outside person give what they're saying more authority. That goes with choreography, choreography as well. When you're second-guessing what you want to do, and you explain it to the other person and then they agree with it, it's like, it's already what you wanted to do. But if you are the only person saying you wanted to do that, then it seems like arbitrary and who are you anyway? So like, what do you know about choreography? When the other person says, yeah, that feels really good. We should, we should put that in. Like, well, you said it, so we have to put it in now. <laughs> I mean, it's not me. It's not my call. Right. Yeah. Moving on to number nine, this kind of goes along also with uh, starting over to where you feel more comfortable. Nine, go back to basics. Lots of people turn to alcohol or drugs to self-treat anxiety, but this will only make matters worse. Simple everyday things like a good night's sleep, a wholesome meal, and a walk are often the best cures for anxiety. Um, For sure. I mean... So the most recent anxiety attack I had was, shocker, over teaching. Mm. Um, and it was teaching a dance that only I knew mm. to this particular club. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one in this club knew the dance, including yourself. So it kind of gave this, like, I really couldn't directly ask for help in explaining something. Or I couldn't have someone on the on the back wall as my support who knew the dance already to kind of help me walk through it. Um, it was really very much a alone feeling, even in this club that I consider some of like the closest people to me right now. Um, and I got myself so worked up and so panicked that I had to 
leave the room, call my sister, calm down. And after I was able to kind of calm down, I went, okay, where does the dance start? You're just going to dance it. So I put on my headphones, put on the track, I started dancing the dance, and I just went back to that basic of like, okay, this is how it feels in my body. This is how it feels in my body. Okay, okay. Now look at the step sheet. How would you describe this? Is this how the step sheet's describing it? And then I'd kind of played with that a little bit, and it got me to that sense of like, okay, well, now that I'm calm, I can start from the top. And so that go back to basic is... um, for at least this instruction, I went back to, okay, well, I know the dance. My body knows the dance. All I have to do is figure out how to talk through the dance. Um, so that's one thing. Another thing is I know um, with this injury, I wanted to start with the beginner style dances, the ones that I know I know, but... I can take easier. They're not stomp your feet that I'm going to like, you know, kill myself because my leg is injured. Um, I want to ease back into it. So starting with um, one that I know that's a less complex dance got me in that, okay, I'm comfortable now. I'm comfortable now. I can try the little bit harder one. I can try and add an extra spin here or something like that. I built myself back up. So... Yeah, with uh, alcohol and drugs, I'm gl- I'm glad that I've never really gotten into the habit of. I mean, generally speaking, I just don't have that much anxiety over the things in my life. It's a pretty easy life, all things considered. Um, when I can, when I think about how th- things could be, what I've got, it's not too bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when things do come up, I just try to think of how to fix it or how to resolve it how to get through it quickly uh, and I know that these kinds of things that they're mentioning uh, they don't really help <laughs> they just kind of make things worse they make you less able. like let's say if you're about to teach a lesson and you're feeling really tense so you think well mm, I'm underprepared and I don't know if I'm gonna say all the right things better drink. Right, let's let's take a shot. (laughs) Yeah, that's going to make me a lot less sure of what's going on, where I am, (laughs) uh, what I'm saying, having a filter, uh, speaking in a clear and articulate way. All those things get uh, hindered by excessive consumption. And it's never really seemed like a solution. No. Um... Good parenting. I'll go with that for you at least. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, but looking at this, like the simple everyday things, like a good night's sleep, a wholesome meal, and a walk, mm-hmm. um, those are definitely things I plan on doing before my lesson. Like, I want to make sure I have a good night's sleep. I want to make sure I've eaten that day so I have my energy level um, so that I have that clear. Th- thought process along with patience because hanger is a thing oh yeah it's amazing how many of my silly little moods are caused by i just didn't eat enough today yeah um so knowing that i mean i know with me and not eating um i tend not to get too impatient 
I tend to be more like, like almost like a, a depressed or a low kind of state where I just can't get my energy or my like desire to try harder up. Um, versus when I eat, then I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, let's do this. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a totally different person. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I definitely plan on doing that. But you had mentioned it earlier about um, being underprepared. I will certainly practice and be prepared for my lesson um, prior to the lesson. Like, I don't want to be fumbling through. I know I've probably said this a few times now um, on the radio, but when I taught um, Camille Sheridan's dance, uh, dibs. I'm calling dibs. I'm calling dibs to dibs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I practiced for... 12 hours on how to explain how to teach that dance and it's a 16 count dance no tags no restarts (laughs) um and i felt that nervous energy but i knew that i was also very excited um when i went to teach it but i felt prepared for it so it wasn't a insanely uh like frightening to the point of frozen in fear state that uh, for instance it was a few weeks ago when I had my meltdown at club Hmm. so and that's Sonoma State Line Dance Club yes that is Sonoma State Line Dance Club Um, but uh, yeah yes having having things like that format that you can just do without thinking it also prevents you from thinking that you're underprepared like if you over-prepare behind the scenes, then you can forget like three or four things and still give them more than they were expecting. Like if you know the dance and you have modifications for making it more or less complicated for people and you have technique and styling things that you want to talk to them about and maybe you want to tell them a thing or two about the choreographers and you just have on and on and on all these different things that you could put into the lesson then even if you are forgetting what you were going to say next about technique, that's when you can talk about choreo- the choreographers and their story or vice versa or just jump to any of your other bullet points that you had ready and it's a lot less likely that all of them are going to go blank. Yeah. Yeah. Number 10 of 10. Reward yourself. Finally, give yourself a treat. When you've made that call you've been dreading, for example, reinforce your success by treating yourself to a massage, a country walk, a meal out, a book, a DVD, or whatever little gift makes you happy. I think we're planning on seeing Wonder Woman tomorrow after, what was it we were going to do? Brushing up on dances for the social on Sunday. We have the Wine Country Line Dance Social coming up this Sunday, and there are a lot of dances on there that are either new or they are ones we've learned and haven't reviewed in a while, like Let It Out by Rachel McEnany White. Um, I know neither of us have learned Straight to the Castle yet. No, and I really want to. Yeah, so we have a lot of work to do on work. We have a lot of play to do on Friday, and then we're going to reward our play with movie. (laughs) A movie, and then we're going to drive out to the Boots and Buckles uh, social in Fremont. Which will also be good practice for before Sunday. Yes. Our rewards are uh, dancing, or for learning dances is uh, more dancing. Yep. Go figure. So that we can prepare for dancing. (laughs) 
and then a movie thrown in there. Yep. Such is our life. <laughs> it's awful, right? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Rewarding yourself. Rewarding yourself when you're freaking out about teaching or choreographing. You know, um, taking those little breaks also can be helpful. Like when you get through choreographing eight counts and it was giving you a lot of trouble. You're like, oh gosh, finally we got something that works. And you're just so beat up and like stressed and like you just want to sit down for a second because you, you got through that but you're not ready to take on more. Just put on a dance you know and you, and you like. Something you feel super confident in that you can just kind of coast during. You enjoy it and uh, you can get all those happy endorphins and things back up into your body. And then once you're all juiced up with that stuff, you're ready to try to get through the next few counts and be brilliant all over again. I know um, just simply starting choreographing a new dance is, is a reward in itself mm -hmm. <laughs> because we've gotten over that paralyzing fear mm. of what if this one isn't nearly as good. Mm. Um, and I know after the, the few counts that we have discovered that we kind of like right now, mm. um, I had posted something on Facebook about like creativity and like listening to it or whatever. And that was like my own little reward. I kind of like threw it out there and I went, look, you wanted to do something, you started to do something, way to listen. And it was like my own little pat on the back. I'm patting her too. Ouch. For everyone, I've, I don't know my own strength. <laughs> For anyone on the internet who wanted to, to pat, that's, uh, you can, my, my way of letting you do it vicariously. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, even something as small as that, as long as it's something that's going to, you know, you're going to enjoy and feel like it's a treat. Mm -hmm. Well, there's 10 right there. And... I'm wondering if we can just take a breathing break so that we'll have time for these next uh, couple of articles. Again, this one was called 10 Ways to Fight Your Fears. This was on nhs.uk. I wonder if that means National Health Service. It seems uh, like the sort of thing it would be. Well, It says yeah. NHS and it's all about health. What does NHS I thought it said it somewhere on, on the article. Does it? <laughs> National Health Service, which provides health care for all UK citizens based on their need for health care rather than their ability to pay for it. It is funded by taxes. Let's move to the UK. Yeah. <laughs> we can hang out with Mark G. Woohoo! All right. Let's see. Our next... Oh, yeah. We got our breathing break here. Ah. <clears throat> <sighs> 